Hello everyone and welcome to the fourth day of the VoiceDAO Sustainable Finance Summit. My name's Kate, I'm representing VoiceDAO at the University of Cambridge. And today we're joined by Audrey Troy, who is managing, who's Chief Sustainability Officer and founding CEO of the Institute for Sustainable Investing at Morgan Stanley, where she oversees the firm's efforts to promote global sustainability through the capital markets. Audrey also serves on the firm's management committee and for four years she simultaneously held the position of Chief Marketing Officer. Before working at Morgan Stanley, Audrey was a foreign correspondent and bureau chief at the Wall Street Journal and later worked in the Clinton administration, serving as Chief of Staff of the Council of Economic Advisers and Domestic Policy Advisor to Vice President Al Gore. Audrey serves on the boards of several national nonprofits and is a graduate of Harvard College and Harvard Business School. Thank you so much, Audrey, for joining us today. Thank you, Kate. It's great to be with you. Hi, everyone. Audrey, thank you again for being uh -huh. here. Great to be and with thank you. you to our audience. We really appreciate your participants. My name is Yamor, and I uh, study economics and social entrepreneurship at NYU, and I'm representing Boys Dow at NYU. Today's panel title uh, is Investing for Social Change. Kate and I will be hosting a rigorous discussion about the role of sustainable investing plays in a creating more equitable and sustainable world. We'll spend around 20 minutes having a discussion with Audrey and afterwards we'll open up the discussion to the audience for a Q&A session. So feel free to send your questions as we have our panel. Let's start with our first question. Audrey, what does sustainable investing mean at Morgan Stanley? Oh, well, that's a great question. Yeah, we're, um, you know, what's really interesting is we actually launched the, um, uh, I launched the Global Sustainable Finance Group back in 2009, which is a long time ago. Um, and, you know, uh, back in 2009, frankly, sustainable finance or sustainable investing was actually not sort of a term of art on Wall Street. And so your question of like, what is that is actually something that I spent a lot of time the first couple of years thinking about and then having to explain to people and what i the way that i um and the way that we frankly defined it and that has now come to be really kind of the, the standard uh, on wall street but at the time was kind of radical i guess um is i basically said look um there's a lot of really interesting out things out there there's socially responsible investing there's you know there's mission aligned investing there's impact investing but for us as a financial firm for profit-seeking investors we're gonna sort of you know rally around this term that we're going to call sustainable investing, which is first and foremost, it is investing. It is investing that pays all the attention to all the traditional things you need to think about from a risk return. And then you enhance it by saying, I'm going to also think about the, uh, the, 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 um, the environmental impacts, the social impacts, the governance issues, and really the holistic sense of this. And, and uh, what we said is what we believe that if you do this in the right way, that it is not at all about, you know, a concessionary return or limiting your field of investable options and, you know, doing, um, you know, making less money in order to do good. It really is about a, a, a better form of investing where you are really understanding holistically all the risks and opportunities that come from that. And what's really interesting is, um, and, you know, we can talk about this more, um, we've gotten to a stage where I think we've gone from the early days when, so I would say, most of my time when I introduce myself to someone, they would say, what is sustainable investing and why is Morgan Stanley doing it? And then, uh, and then doesn't that of course mean making less money? 
And now people are really, you know, sort of falling over themselves to say, this is, of course, the best way to invest. This is best in class investing. This is going to be a huge market of durable revenue creation um, because it is now more than a $35 trillion market. Yeah, that's all I think something we all believe here at Voice Dow as well. Um, and I think you've definitely touched upon it in framing your perception of sustainable investing, but I'd be really interested to hear a little about the institute you set up, the Institute for Sustainable Investing, and how you put some of the this vision into practice and what its impact has been. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so as I said, we so I founded the the, um, the Global Sustainable Finance Group in 2009, and that was we wanted to sort of make the statement that Morgan Stanley, a firm like Morgan Stanley, should have a business unit, not a philanthropy, not a you know a marketing initiative, but a business unit focused on sustainable finance. And as I said, those first couple of years, I spent an enormous amount of time trying to convince people that this really would be part of mainstream financial markets. And so by 2013, I realized that you know what. For me, and you know, for many of us, it was sort of a, a an article of faith and an instinct and an intuition that this must actually be really, a, you know, um, a way to enhance investing. But we felt like there simply was just not enough data and analysis out there, and really a basis of facts. And so that's why in 2013 we actually, said, you know, we we need to actually set up this Institute for Sustainable Investing, where our goal really is going to be. To, to try to you know, hold ourselves accountable, do the research, do the analytics, crunch the numbers and see what there really is there. And so one of the very first things that we did at the Institute for Sustainable Investing is we actually did the investor poll and said, is there really actually interest? We think that there's interest that's gonna grow from investors, but is it actually there? And the really fascinating thing was we found that the first year, 75% of people, of investors said that they were interested in this thing called sustainable investing. Um, over the years, we've seen that go from 75% to 80% to 85%. But the most fascinating thing, I think, especially for boys, is that you know the young investors have always been leading the way. So when you take that initial 75% and you break it out to men, women, and millennials, uh, and we didn't have Gen Zs yet because Gen Zs weren't yet of investing age at the time. But um, um, but what we saw was that it was millennials leading the way. The younger investors were leading the way at like, I think, 86% interested. The women were at like 75% interested and the men were at like 60 something. Um, and then each year, each every couple of years when we did it, you would see the, you know, the millennials and the younger investors were totally in the way, followed by the women. And then eventually we now have the men almost caught up. Um, so it's been, it's been a really fascinating thing. And, and so the Institute for us was really to say, how do we develop the data um, and make sure that there is actually interest, but also make sure that there is return. And we can talk about it more of the, the, um, the information that we found that when we analyzed 15,000 different investment strategies, I'm sorry, 11,000 investment strategies over 15 years, we found that actually when you compare the sustainable investing strategies to the traditional ones, that the returns were almost the same. Uh, you know, across all sort of different states of the world, but that the downside risk was actually much lower. And then what we've seen even more dramatically in the last couple of years, frankly, you know, since the pandemic has started is that that's actually um, even um, really broadened. And we've seen sustainable investing strategies consistently and materially outperforming the traditional strategies with also with lower downside volatility. So it's been a really, so those kinds of, that kind of leadership has been something that we've been really focusing on driving through the Institute, not as a, not as a let's do deals just for us, but how do we build the field? 
Thank you for your answer. Well, definitely it's beautiful to see that sustainable investing is outperforming in terms of values and profits uh, as we progress towards a sustainable world. And you also talked about how uh, sustainable investing is actually, actually a holistic investing that considers its wide impact. I really like the definition holistic. And I want to actually connect that to systems thinking, uh, holistic framework, right? Yeah, written and spoken about the importance of systems thinking. Why is it important? And has it been an effective way to engage and encourage change among investors? Yeah, you know, I think the thing, the thing about um, sustainability or frankly, really anything is when you start looking at it and you start pulling on the thread, right? You realize how much of it is all, you know, all connected and you can't, you know, there are no silver bullets, right? There's no single rifle shot that is going to fix climate change or, you know, reduce plastic waste. There's the, the, all of these things really are interconnected and that we have to look at the whole system if we're going to be able to understand it. And look, that, that's one of the reasons why we, um, uh, you know, we were interested from a financial services firm, we were trying to figure out how can we be most helpful? And one of the things is, you know, we are we are not um, in just one industry, right? In, in just chemicals or consumer products or um, you know automotive or software. We but all of those are our clients. And so what we've been really focusing on is how do you think about the interconnections? And so a, a great example, just to make it a little more concrete, is um, our plastic waste resolution. Um, you know, for obviously that's a huge issue of the 8 billion tons of plastic that we've created more than, you know, uh, and more than uh, 5 billion of those tons are sitting as trash in nature, for the most part, landfills, landscapes, uh, the oceans, the air. Um, and we're trying to figure out how could we do something to address this, but we're not a chemical company. We're not a CPG company. We're not, you know, and what we realize is that, again, just to your point, there were, we had to think about the whole system. We have to think about how could we mobilize chemical companies, uh, industrial, you know, engineering companies, uh, architects, designers, consumer product goods manufacturers, um, clients, individual users, and governments to come together to really change us. Because unless you actually think about creating the best formulation of plastic, having it be in the best uses and the best doses and the right times combined in the right ways or not combined, more importantly, so you have both single forms of easily recyclable plastic and then picked up and, and um, disposed of properly by governments and municipalities, and ideally, in a circular loop, unless you figure out all these things, you're just going to be like, you know, squeezing something somewhere and then it's going to, a problem's going to shoot up in another place. Yeah, no, it's really interesting um, because you've obviously also in your work at Morgan Stanley looked at balancing this need for systems thinking and seeing everything as interconnected, but you offer quite specific ESG products and solutions for specific issues mm -hmm. like plastic. So, do you believe these more targeted products are more effective, whether they're more effective at attracting to consumers or do you have a greater impact as their investments? Well, you know, I, um, uh, I, I tend to be very much like a, a belts and suspenders, snaps and buttons kind of girl, um, <laughs> you know, where I think that um, what we really need, it, it's not an either or situation, right? So, and I think that we do really need, we, we need, well, if we want to drive positive sustainability outcomes as quickly as possible, I'm for like, let's get as many dollars, as many investors, as many strategies as possible. And, you know, like anything, some of them are going to be sort of the, you know, the point that, you know, the pointy end of the, of the, the wedge and some are going to be broader based. And so I really think about it as kind of a, you know, a suite of options. I think it's fabulous that more and more and more and more mainstream investors, whether it's massive asset owners or individual investors who invest the first time, I think it's great. And they say, you know what? 
I at least want to have sustainability issues kind of integrated into how I'm thinking about it, right? Because if, if I'm going to invest in the auto sector, why wouldn't I want to choose the one that's the best at sustainability issues? If I'm going to invest in a chemical company, why wouldn't I want the best one at sustainability issues with the least negatives, right? So I think, you know, a lot of people say, oh, that's, it's, you know, it's pale green or it's not high impact. But you know what, if you have a huge broad base of dollars, each time voting for companies within their sector that are doing a better job. And then, to, then as you get more and more specific, you can start to drive much more specific impact. And certainly, Kate, I think your, your question is, you know, is, is very um, insightful because what has been happening is that in the early years, I think the, well, a long ago, I think that simply avoiding negative things was kind of the first um, way that investors went, sort of, you know, filtering out certain industries that you didn't want to be a part of. And then it was about this sort of ESG integration. And now increasingly we're seeing investors again, whether it's, you know, Gen Z investors who are, you know, investing for, you know, the first time from the first paychecks or very sophisticated investors, they're coming and saying, I really want to focus on social justice, on gender equity, on fair labor practices, on plastic waste reduction, on circular economy. And with that, they want to really drive capital towards a specific kind of company doing a specific kind of innovation. And so I think I think that what we really, you know, what's exciting is we're now seeing a real sort of pyramid of options where you can go sort of more broad and and you know and more broad or really sort of pointy and sharp. And it's when you have all of those together that I think you make a real impact. That really made me think of the TED talk you gave, like voting with your coffee that you purchase uh, on in your daily life and then voting with your personal investments. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like I think you also kind of like touched base on thematic investing. Thematic investing is an approach that focuses on predicted long-term trends rather than specific companies or sectors. Um, do you think thematizing provides greater impact or does that attract niche investors? You kind of answered the answer, but we can still touch on it. Yeah, no, look, I mean, I think that, um, uh, uh, like we said, I think that increasingly we're seeing investors really focused on specific issues and wanting to combine an overall sort of portfolio um, review and monitoring and maybe scrubbing or whatnot of certain things on a more broad base with, with that really um, more thematic thing. I think the other thing that's really interesting that we're seeing a lot of um, is not just one theme, but really understanding sort of the intersectionality of issues. Right. One of the issues that I've been very, very focused on of late is really thinking about that intersection of climate issues and social issues, really in the form of, you know, of climate justice. Um, right? And, and it's, it's not just sort of saying, oh, well, E and S are next to each other in the ESG, so we should think about them together, but it's really actively understanding that, unfortunately, climate change on the one hand, right, is this global problem that all of us contribute to, that all of us face, but unfortunately, the real, um, you know, the real, um, burdens of climate change are consistently disproportionately visited uh, on the most vulnerable of communities. Right? I think there was this fascinating study that was done um, in the U.S. looking at um, low-income neighborhoods that have historically been denied access to capital. Right, so there, you know, this practice that used to be known as redlining, when certain low-income neighborhoods wouldn't be able to get loans for businesses, for schools, for I mean, for, for school loans, for car loans, for, especially for business loans and mortgages. Um, and they found that even now, like 40 years after the Community Reinvestment Act basically uh, has taken measures to address that not happening, these low-income communities are still registering temperatures in the summer up to 20 degrees Fahrenheit or like 11 degrees um, centigrade hotter than wealthy neighborhoods. 
right? And it's because those neighborhoods, you know, it's because they don't, they have more concrete, they don't have as many trees, they don't have water elements, they don't have parks, they don't have sidewalks, they don't have playgrounds. And so you're seeing this immediate disparity, literally that in the same climactic weather capture zone that the poor neighborhood, the low-income neighborhood is hotter, and as a result, facing more respiratory disease, more vulnerability to things like, oh, say, COVID or other respiratory airborne diseases. And you just have this compounding of issues where economic justice, social injustice, and climate justice are now all together. And I think that we're seeing a lot more awareness by investors of the intersectionality of these issues, how all of these issues actually do end up leading to business resilience, either higher or lower business resilience, higher or lower community resilience and health, and therefore real economic impact. Yeah, that's is really interesting and is um, reminiscent actually of a study I saw recently, which is um, stating that the biggest uh, the biggest sort of factor to predict where sewage was going to be was actually by looking at the race of the neighbourhood, which is mm -hmm. um, quite shocking. Um, yeah. I think when we talk about studies like this, we really see the importance of sustaining of invest investing sustainably. Um, but you've also discussed in the past a bit of a dichotomy where consumers are quite willing to, for example, buy fair trade coffee or drive an electric vehicle, knowing their impact there is limited. So, but have been much slower in this case to adopt more sustainable investment practices. And I wondered if you had any idea about why. Well, so I think it's a couple of things, but I also think it's actually changing, which is really interesting. And frankly, I think in, in, in large part, thanks to, to frankly, to your generation, right? And so I think that voice and the kind of thing, the activism and engagement that you're promoting is really critical. I think if you look at, um, you know, if you go back a number of years and, you know, you think about sort of, um, um, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 or more years ago, I think there was much more of a sense of, um, you know, the, the business of business is business, right? To maximize money. And then if you make a lot of money, then you have philanthropy and you use philanthropy to give it away. Um, I think that, you know, and I've said this for a long time, I think that the combination of, um, frankly, of technology, right? So the fact that like, you know, we're all holding in our hands, right? A supercomputer. Right? I mean, literally when I was working in the Clinton administration, oh good Lord, 30 years ago, 25 or 30 years ago, um, and I was, I, was, I was on the, um, you know, I, I was part of the uh, technology policy team. This amount of computing power would have had to have gotten, you know, national security clearance to cross borders, right? And now everyone has one or multiple of them in their personal possession. That level of transparency drives a level of accountability, and it basically enables people to see what are the consequences of what you're doing, right? And so I think that your generation, more than any other generation, understands, sure, it's about the coffee but it's also about what car are you driving? And it's also about what company are you gonna invest in? It's also what company your, your colleges and your university's endowment is gonna invest in. And I think previously people were much more compartmentalized, but like, here's what I do for work. Here's how I make my money. Here's the, the charity that I care about. And I think now there's much more of an understanding uh, of it really being holistic. So I, I do think that, um, um, but I think that the, the other reason that it's been slower is again, this, this very sort of deep seated, um, sort of gut reaction that is taking a long time for us to get over. But I, again, I think that, you know, um, younger investors are much more enlightened about this. I think older generations really have always thought that if you do good, you're going to give up making money. And I think now we're just seeing so much more evidence that actually doing good is good business. It actually lowers your risk. 
It increases your, your ability to recruit the best talent, to retain the best talent, and actually to have the most innovative, productive people. So, um, so I, think, I think we're seeing that in a real sea change moment. Thank you for your answer. Well, before we uh, transition towards the Q&A session, we have a last question for you. In the battle to slow climate change, what are you optimistic about and what role must sustainable investing play? Oh, goodness. Um, well, look. Um, so I do try to always be optimistic. I'll start with the pessimism, right? And then I'll try to go, go the outright. The pessimism, as everybody knows, is it's just um, it, climate change is, look, climate change has been happening for a long time. Right? I mean, Al Gore, my former boss, has been trying to like sound the alarm bell on climate change for literally more than 40 years. And it seems like it's only in the last couple of years that people have been like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. This is correct. Let's give him every award on the planet, right? Um, and it, it's been happening for a long time and it's very hard to turn a tanker that's running at like Mach 7, right? And so the solutions that we're doing, whether it's policy, whether it's innovation, whether it, they're just not yet fast enough to catch, stop, and turn, you know, this 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 high speed tanker, which I know is a mixed metaphor, but whatever, you know what I mean. Um, and so I think that, you know, but what makes me um, optimistic about it is is a couple of things. One is the the optimistic side of the dire situation we're in is that unfortunately we now have over the last two years seen, you know, pretty much every geography and every income level country seeing catastrophic effects of climate change. Um, this is obviously incredibly tragic. And if we're, if we're going to get any kind of silver line out of it, it's that people are starting to realize that climate change is not just something that happens like over there to one of the LDCs or to an island nation, right? It can be, you know, it can be, you know, Germans and Belgians dying from rain, right? Or people in Oregon dying from heat. Right, where it's normally very cold and rain. And so, it, and when you see this, I think it really has galvanized a whole different level of political will and action. Um, and I do think also, again, that this is, you know, uh, I, I, for years I've been saying like, like, like you, know, uh, you know, hopefully our children are gonna save us from ourselves, right? And, you know, whether it's Greta or the kinds of things that you're doing, I do think that, you know, young leaders like yourselves really you know taking hold of this and saying like this is going to be a part of not just our charity and our our weekend volunteer activities but this has to be like the central business of what we do we're going to choose our employer because of it we're going to choose our investments because of it we're going to choose our products because of it all of that actually sends enormous signals to the market right and so i think that where investors and consumers alike play a huge role is even if you think it doesn't really make that much of a difference if you're choosing product a versus product b I'm one of those people who really does believe it sends this ripple up the web, right? And it does send these, these signals to chief marketing officers, to chief revenue officers, and ultimately to chief executive officers that if they want to win in the market, they got to be part of the solution. Um, and so that's why, you know, we, we look at Morgan Stanley, we've been excited to be able to try to help push the financial services industry forward. So we were the first of the major U.S. banks um, to commit to net zero back in 2020. We were the first to join the Partnership for Carbon Accounting Financial. So we all say carbon has to be a part of how we account for things, just like any financial statement, right? Our CO2 emissions is not you know, extra financial is core to it. Um, and we've been, you know, really, really focused on how do we, how do we do that? And how do we make sustainability part of every person's job, no matter what division they sit in? 
yeah that's I think something we we can all get behind as we're sort of trying to all figure out together what this what this vision of sustainable investing is going to look like um now we've got a few minutes for some questions from the audience and I do want to dive right in it's a bit of a, a brutal one but um Somebody has said, you mentioned that Morgan, Sustainability, Morgan Stanley is the first US bank to promise net zero. Does Morgan Stanley have plans to decarbonize and go carbon negative? Um, and what does the transition to carbon neutral look like if so? Mm -hmm. So, yes, I mean, so in, in, in multiple different ways, right? So we did a number of years ago um, pledge to be carbon neutral in terms of our own operations, um, actually by end of this year. Um, which we will be achieving. We actually, and and this is not simply by sort of just buying, you know, buying credits on the, you know, on the secondary market, but we actually did work to bring online um, and uh, and guarantee offtake for a um, a new uh, wind farm, among other things, to really help drive capacity. Right. So that's one thing that I think all companies to think about is if you want to become carbon neutral in your own operations, really what is it in your own operations that you can do, but also as you procure energy, how can you actually guarantee offtake of that renewable energy? To, um, to a facility so that people have the certainty to be able to actually build and to put more you know, solar panels or you know, windmills in to actually create that renewable opportunity. Uh, in terms of the net zero pledge, right? that is really looking at our, at our business, which is frankly, um, you know, a much broader reaching than simply our own footprint, right? Our footprint as a bank, right? We're some buildings with some people who fly around and do like work on computers, but it's not like we're a massive manufacturing plant or a massive logistics and operations plant. And so for us, where we really have that reach is through our financing with, you know, with all of our partners across industries. And look, and we, we have said that across our book of business, in terms of who we lend to, what those things fund, what emissions those create, that we are now starting on the journey of figuring out how do we, um, and this is why we joined some of these things like the Partnership for Accounting, uh, Carbon Accounting Financials, how do we develop for the whole economy an understanding of how to have a uniform way of accounting for that so we can all hold ourselves accountable to who's financing these, you know, these developments. And we are gonna, um, you know, we are uh, on, on the journey to driving that towards, you know, to, to net zero by 2015 alignment with, um, with Paris. Um, now look, you know, there's a couple of things, one is, is that fast enough? No, right? But you gotta start somewhere, right? And hopefully over time, everyone will be backing those up to net zero by a year much, much closer than 2050, right? Some, some people have already said, you know, or, you know, across different companies that they're aiming for earlier. Um, and obviously, yeah, to the extent that we can be, um, you know, carbon negative in different industries with innovations, that's one of the reasons why one of the other things that we've done is um, we've launched a thing called the um, Morgan Stanley Sustainable Solutions Collaborative where we are trying to look for innovations that may not be commercial scale yet, that may not be something that, you know, that a retail investor or a large investment company would necessarily invest in. We're saying, how can we help you sort of incubate and think about taking things, you know, to the next level? Um, and, you know, there's, there's so many interesting things that are being proposed there, including, you know, building materials that actually would take carbon out of the atmosphere or alternatives to plastics that are made out of everything from, you know, um, seafood waste to mushrooms to seaweed. Um, and uh, I think we just have to really, um, you know, really drive hard on innovation. And so once again, I, I, I'm a, you know, I'm in the belt suspenders, buckles, snaps, Velcro, whatever we can. We need to reduce our emissions. We need to change the ways that we do things. We need to adopt more circular methods of business. And we need to innovate like crazy to develop new solutions. 
Well, thank you for your answer. Someone in the chat said, Abby, innovation is key. So love how you mentioned that. <laughs> okay. Innovation is definitely going to save us. Um, the last question I want to ask before we wrap up is, uh, I think it's kind of related to innovation as well. What is Morgan Stanley's stance on cryptocurrency and blockchain-based companies in terms of their ESG trades? Um, you know, so I don't, we don't have necessarily a formal like stance position, but look, I think that that's, um, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty clear there's been a, you know, an enormous amount of discussion and concern about the energy intensity of crypto and what does that mean and um, how to weigh some of the benefits of crypto against those issues. I, look, I think, um, you know, I, I think like all of the, uh, you know, all new innovation, uh, right, it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge that we, I mean, again, I would say it goes back to the more fundamental thing like, we have to look at these things holistically, right? You can't just say like, oh, this is great because it provides certain security benefits so we're not going to worry about the sustainability and plow investment into something that then you have to walk back, right? So I think, again, I think because we now know so much more, right, we should be starting from the beginning as industries are growing and developing to say, okay, how do we get the good of what this is trying to achieve in ways that actually are, you know, are more sustainable. Um, so I think it's, you know, uh, like all these things, it's a, there's a lot of uncharted territory and the more that, um, that you and, you know, uh, all of your peers as you're leading and, you know, look, I would encourage you as you're interviewing with companies to work for them, to ask them, what is their, you know, their stance on sustainability as part of their business, not their philanthropy, not their CSR. I mean, which is lovely, and they should do that too. But what is what are the business drivers, and what is the sustainable impact of those? Um, and then, ideally, really to be you know, innovating yourselves and think about what are the most important innovations that you want to drive to scale. Um, and and then, lastly, I would just say, um, um, you know, I, the one thing that I think we didn't touch on, but I think is critical in this area, is really thinking about cross not not just cross industry partnerships but cross-sector partnerships, right? Sustainability more than anything else is something where, you know, um, you have to have not just the private sector, not just NGOs and advocates, you have to also have the public sector, right? To really have inspired policy, to set the rules, to drive harmonization, to drive accountability. You have to have the grassroots to get involvement, NGOs and innovators, and you have to have the partnership of capital and really be able to knit all three of those together is just so critical. So I, I would lastly, I would say, I know I said lastly before, but um, you know, I think as you and your, your colleagues are all thinking about careers, um, I really would encourage you to think broadly about, you know, if you're interested in sustainability, by no means is being a sustainability officer the only thing you should think about, right? I would strongly encourage you to spend some time in public service so you understand the public sector and rulemaking and policymaking. I would strongly encourage you to spend some time in the private sector. And I would strongly encourage you to spend time in, in, um, in the nonprofit sector. And then really think about how you drive those sectors together. Thank you so much for your uh, advice to the Gen Z. I mean, as someone who's involved in sustainability, now that was even a good advice for me. And I want to say, um, holistic collaboration and partnerships were, I feel like, the key words that, stand, that stood out in this panel. Thank you for your time. We really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, well, um, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Great. Great thank to you. be